Hey Upper Feasters, hope you're having a great day so far. This week I talk with Bach of Ninja City Kitchen. They started their restaurant in Cleveland, Ohio, but they now have a cloud kitchen here in Columbus. And we talk about some of the challenges of existing online only and not having a brick and mortar to showcase your brand and kind of advertise that you exist. He grew up with his parents owning a restaurant and then he owned a restaurant right out of college. So he has a very unique perspective on being a restaurateur. We talk about his go-to munchie snack, which is chips. Unpopular opinions, he does not like olives and thinks Chick-fil-A is dry and gross. We talk about Columbus vs. Cleveland food scenes, top three Cleveland restaurants, burger and pizza preferences. No more tall burgers, dude. Cut it out with that big mountain of a burger. It looks cool, but I want to eat it easily, so get out of here with that. The Five Guys bonus fries are factored into the price. Spoiler alert, you're not getting hooked up. That's just how they do it. He gives me the Ninja City origin story and much, much more. In the setup we're in, we literally don't exist other than online. And that's been a big marketing challenge for sure. I think also the thing that um, Ninja City, a lot of what Ninja City beyond the food. To me, the food's always the most important thing. Like no amount of bells and whistles. Like I'm not those like dinner and a show type things. Like they, first off, they seem to be going by the way to pass a little bit, you know, like your, there was a place in Cleveland called Dick's Last Resort where like you go in and like the staff was like intentionally mean to you. Like those like sticky type things. It seems like those are waning in popularity, but you know, there's, there's still people love like branding and fun stuff. And a lot of Ninja City is the vibe. So if you go to the Cleveland restaurant, there's comic book art everywhere. There's original comic book art. So I created these characters and this whole lore <laughs> of Ninja City. And we had a buddy do comic book art for us that we have hanging throughout the place. Our menus are fully illustrated comic books. That's so dope. Yeah, we even put like avatars of our veteran employees like in there as like Easter eggs and stuff. Like, <laughs> so, so cool. you know, yeah, you know, again, I want to be a comic book artist, right? Uh, clearly, like superheroes yeah. are between me. And I kind of peaked. I was really good at drawing as like a kid. And then like I peaked in high school, like between getting lazy. And I think I think I just kind of lost interest, right? But from when I was young until high school, I thought I was going to be a comic book artist. Or I wanted to be a comic book When you were in high school, were you cooking back then even? Or did you not start until college? I wasn't. And that's the funny thing. Like I had, my mom had a restaurant from when I was in third grade until after I graduated college and never during the entire time she had a restaurant did I ever express any interest in being a chef or a restaurant owner. You could, you know, peel away layers. There's a lot to that. You know, again, I didn't grow up at a time when it was as cool or fashionable to own a restaurant, you know? um, And every guy with a tattoo thinks he has to get a TV show in a restaurant. (laughs) You know, before you saw tattoos, you were like, oh man, that, that guy is badass. Now it's like, hey, make me a vinaigrette. You know, it's like, you know, it's, yeah, you know, it's like the more tattoos, the better your, your balsamic reduction. Um, yeah, that Remulot's going to be great, man. Yeah, man. <laughs> um, but basically what I was going with is, is that uh, a lot of Ninja City is the vibe, the elements. And so I think we're missing that too in the Ghost Kitchen concept. So very excited about the Ghost Kitchen. It's very much our ability to kind of dip one toe in because, you know, with this cloud kitchen setup, especially the way it works is, you know, they build out these kitchens for you. They, you know, that that's a hundred K right there in build out. If you're going into like a white box, for example, putting in plumbing, electrical, gas, all that kind of stuff. So your cost to entry is much lower and that's why you're able to get open in a few months. But yeah, our, our, our mind is already immediately on like, well, let's get a brick and mortar going. Um, and test this new kind of, you know, more streamlined version of Ninja City. I think in, in, inevitably we'll probably after, actually, if, if our goal, which is to open, you know, uh, at least a couple in Columbus, you know, we might have to rename the Cleveland one to like the OG Ninja City or something to like 
make a differentiation because uh, the future of Ninja City is very much this bow concept, which we're, it's a great alignment of the brand and like, you know, the vibe and everything. Perfect storm, my man. So I feel like you have a really interesting perspective because you grew up with a, a mom that owned a restaurant. You owned a restaurant at a super young age. You currently own a restaurant. So when you're a customer, is it challenging for you to be wowed at a restaurant? Because you know all the bells and whistles, you know all the secret tricks. Like, is it tough for you to really be wowed? I'm sure it would be the same in any industry, right? Like, it, like I love action figures, perfect example. I love action figures. But I bet, like, if I worked for Hasbro, some of that allure might wash away, you know, because, like, you know what I mean? And, and I will admit, prior to owning a restaurant, going out to eat did feel a little more special. You know, there's a little bit more of, like, a, hey, you're just an audience member, and once you get in it, at the same time, it gives me a different appreciation for it. I feel like when I go out to eat, for example, I first and foremost have a level of kind of understanding and patience and respect that I didn't have. Even growing up in the restaurant business, not being an owner myself, I didn't have that same kind of perspective. So it takes a lot for me to like have a really bad experience. Like I may tell myself this, this was this this sucked. Like, you know, but like, you know, rarely do I get upset about it anymore I'm like well they're having one of those days like we just had last Wednesday or whatever you know what I mean like three right. people didn't show up who knows what happened um as far as getting wowed I mean I I, I like to I, I have pretty simple tastes I'm a big just simple comfort food kind of guy I get most wowed when simple things are just done really well like we don't do a lot of fine dining anything like that you know I I keep up with trends and stuff like that but you know we don't that's not our thing. Like if we have a sitter or, you know, our daughter's at our parents and we have a night to ourselves in general, it's something real casual. Uh, we still eat a lot of Asian food, you know, up in Cleveland, there's a place called LJ Shanghai that we love that has more obscure uh, Chinese food. Like they don't even have rice there. It's like okay. people, they have like, you know, spicy pig ear and like the, they do the sholong bao, the soup dumplings and things like that. I so, love a soup dumpling, dude. So good. Yeah, yeah they do soup dumplings and uh, we, we like things like tripe and, you know, like organ meats and stuff like that. Do you ever eat like Korean comfort food? Like, I don't know how to pronounce it, but like the, the duck bokey or whatever. That's like yeah, one of my bokey, favorite dishes. Yeah. yeah, yeah. You know, uh, we like Korean food quite a bit. I, I'm glad to see that. Again, Korean food really has only really been becoming more mainstream in the last 10, 20 years, I would say, you know, like I would say your average person knew very little about Korean food 10, 15, 20 years ago. And now it's really exploded in the last- It should be more popular in my opinion. I think it should be like a top three cuisine in the, in the U.S. I, I'm like a super fan of Korean food. I am too. I can see why, because I know people who, who do not like it and I can see why. It has, you know, there's a lot of seafood in it, you know, even certain Vietnamese foods and stuff too. Like I get it, you know, um, every culture has their funk, right? You know, like Asian people don't do a lot of like funky cheeses. Like we do funky seafood stuff and fish sauces and fermented seafood, things like that, you know. But it's interesting that humans all over the world have this kind of propensity towards kind of funky foods, you know, it's, it's interesting. It really is, dude. So if you get a craving for the munchies and you want to have something like super junk food, super comfort food, what's your go-to, like, I got the munchies snack? I, I love chips. Like, if if left my own devices, <laughs> uh, I could just mow chips. Potato chips, Doritos. A kettle cook, a Dorito, anything. Yeah, you know, I, I prefer, I, I like Doritos. Doritos might edge out potato chips for me. I don't know, man. I really, I grew up in in the 80s, 90s, and yeah, the Doritos were 
Cool Ranch Doritos or, or, or they still hit the spot for me. So that's why we don't keep stuff like that in the house. Like we almost never buy things like chips because I just have no self-control. Like I would just mow them Whole bag. <laughs> yeah. Like anytime I buy a bag, there's never expectation that's going to last. So that's why I almost, I, I rarely buy chips just because I know that I, I have no responsibility with that. <laughs> yeah, chip, chips are probably my favorite uh, thing to snack on. <laughs> Chips are amazing. That's a great choice. A pro tip, put your chips in little Ziploc bags and serving sizes. That helps you fight. Cause like, you're not going to rip through three Ziplocs, but you'll rip through. Oh, I would though. See, that's the problem. Like I would, like I'll do all that. And then I'll even, I'll be double disgusted. Cause I'm like, wow. Like you just, you just broke down. Like you broke all the firewalls. Like you're. <laughs> what, the security what, was a bust, man. Yeah. What's your, what's your go-to snack? Uh, anything cheesy. So if I'm just want something super quick and easy, I'll dip a chip in that bullshit Frito cheese from a can. Or if I'm trying to be fancy, I might make a little, um, homemade cheese sauce over some tortillas. And if I'm feeling really go-getter, I'll make the tortillas myself. But I love like just a chip with cheese is like my favorite thing. Oh yeah. That's solid. Um, pretty much anything cheese is a win as far as I'm concerned. Do you have any unpopular food opinions? I don't like olives, but I get why people like olives. There are certain foods I don't like, and I get why people like them. Then there's some. I think my my, my most I wouldn't say controversial, but the, the the hottest one on my mind right now is I can't stand Chick Fil A. Like I think Chick Fil A is so dry. Like the the chicken, there I can't really speak to their fries. You know, I'm sure the waffle fries are, are good, but I'm amazed how crazy people are for Chick Fil A. Look, I'm a fast food junkie. I'll admit it. But I don't like Chick-fil-A because they use white meat. Like, it, that's, it's as simple as that to me. It's like, it's so dry. Even like raising canes, their tenders are white meat, but they're juicier to me. Something about Chick-fil-A, it's just the meat's so dry. And like, you know, I'm, I try not to be bitter, right? I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm trying to not be like, oh, you're just jealous at how successful they are. It's like, no, I don't think so. Like, I'm, I'm never, I never look at the line, like other fast food places. I'm like, why are you people lined up? But like Chick-fil-A, I'm just like, I don't get it. Like, I don't get why, but I, I don't know. I, I'm not sure what it is that people are so drawn to Chick-fil-A for. Cause I think that the chicken's so dry. I don't know. That's fair, dude. I personally disagree. I think I love their dippies. They got great sauces. I, I have to give a shout out to their sauces. Okay, maybe I don't give their sauces enough of a try. Sometimes I do struggle with like their political beliefs. And part of me is like, you should just enjoy whatever food you enjoy. But then the other part of me is like, man, they're such a shitty company morally. And I, I do kind of struggle with that. That's the other layer I wasn't going to touch on necessarily. Yes, I'm with you on that for sure. <laughs> That's the other part of it that makes me not even like, it's like, well, I'm on top of it. That's so why I have no reason to go there because I don't even like the it's like if their food was good, I, like again, that's just my opinion. And again, I've only honestly had Chick Fil A a few times. I like dark meat. That's what it is. Like we use dark meat for our little Korean fried chicken. We use boneless thigh, and in general, that's just like my go-to. So anytime like I bite into like fried chicken, it's chicken breast. I just get a little sad. Dude, that's fair. Chicken thigh is definitely better. <laughs> I know you haven't been here long, but could you give me a little comparison between Columbus and Cleveland food scenes? I feel like there's a lot more chain restaurants here. Like I feel like there's plenty of locally owned independent restaurants as well. But I feel like in Cleveland, and I could be wrong. Like we could pull up the numbers, and I could just it could just be a you know I've seen you know I'm getting the wrong impression. In some ways, it's definitely a, a hotter market, right? There's a lot there's a lot of reasons why companies are based here, are trying to launch here. 
It's the very reason why my partner and I have talked about doing something in Columbus for, forever. So in many ways, it's ahead of the curve. Um, but then there's like gaps in things that I've noticed. Like Columbus definitely has more Japanese and Korean options than Cleveland. And I think I took for granted how much good Chinese food there's up to and, and honestly, Vietnamese. Like I would say in Columbus, there's far less like Southeast Asian and Chinese. There's a lot more in Columbus. I see a lot more like Japanese and Korean concepts than I would in Cleveland. And then I'm seeing a lot less like good authentic Chinese here. Yeah. So I'm noticing gaps there. Part of me is like, maybe I should like switch back to doing like a Vietnamese place here. Cause like, I wasn't thinking that at all, but like, there's not a ton of Vietnamese places. I mean, there, there's some, you know, there, and there's a new one, I think at Easton just opened. Yeah. And I guess, you know, there's not really like a true Chinatown here. And I think that has a lot to do with it, you know? So the makeup is, is definitely different. Um, so yeah, chain restaurants, I feel like I see more of. Other than that, you know, it's still, it, you know, it feels like familiar territory. Like it just feels like the food scene, I think feels, there's a lot of good food in Cleveland and there's a lot of energy and in, innovation. But I feel like Columbus aligns a little bit more with like national trends and things like that. Okay. That's interesting. I've only been to Cleveland twice. I don't remember most of the places I went to because it was like two years ago, but Larder B sticks out to me. Do you know that place, Larder B? Yeah, of course. Yeah. Their chicken sandwich is so freaking good. Could you give me your top three Cleveland restaurants? I know it's a super tough question, but if I were to go to Cleveland again, what do you say? It's actually not hard for me at all. Um, It would be this place, LJ Shanghai. Urban Twine, which is again, all they do is sandwiches, scratch made bread. What will be my third? First and second were easy. Any good like taco places or pizza places? I might have to say Il, Il, Il Rione. Il Rione is a pizza place right down the street from Ninja City up there. They do specifically, they call them New Jersey style, so not New York style, but nice thin pizzas, not wood fired, but the flavor they pack into the dough, that, I would say that's the biggest difference is I've had a lot of thin pizzas but a lot of them when you start kind of getting into the dough they don't really taste like a lot like it's so thin that you're almost like not eating like you know uh, their their dough is thin but it still has this like puffiness to it which it's really good so probably I'd say you know I'm comfortable saying that's my number three Il Rione. This might be an unpopular opinion about pizza I don't really like um like fancy pizzas and I guess it's like fancy is subjective so what what I mean by that is like like super traditional Italian style, like wood fired pizza, where that's like, you know, like a margarita, margarita pizza, for example. I'd rather just have an American, like super cheesy, throw some pep on there. Uh, how do you feel about that? I have different moods. Like there's a place called Angelo's Pizza right by my old house, and they're packed all the time. And they're what I call a Midwest pizza. It's pretty thick, heavy on the cheese, heavy on the toppings. And I have moods. Like sometimes I want that pizza. More often, I do like a thin pizza. I'm I'm pretty traditionalist when it comes to like pizzas and burgers. Like I don't ever go for like the crazy flavors or like barbecue chicken. Like I'm generally like pepperoni, sausage, mushroom, that kind of realm of toppings. Same. Um, yeah, like I, I'm pretty tra- and then burgers too. Like I'm I'm not the kind of person who loves like crazy burger combinations. I generally like like a classic LTOP type burger. New York pizza is like my favorite still. New York style pizza. Would, would you go plain cheese or a little bit of pep or maybe pepperoni and sausage? If I'm going New York pizza, I'm, I don't even want a sausage and stuff. Like I kind of want just like cheese or just pepperoni. Yeah. And then when I start the thicker the pizza, I start wanting like other toppings and stuff. <laughs> Same dude. And when it comes to burgers, I hate 
when they put a bunch of shit on there and then you can't even eat it. Like it's too tall. Like it looks cool for Instagram, but it's just not practical. <laughs> they should spread it out, make it longer, like almost like a hot dog shape if you have to. Right. Oh, like a Mr. Hero. Is there yeah. a Mr. Hero in Columbus? <laughs> I think we might have one or two. I've seen them at like a gas station before. Yeah, they do the Roman burger and it's like on a sub and it's like long, you know? <laughs> and sometimes I just don't think the flavors come together either. It's like, okay, cool. Like it's cool. I like the idea of putting all this stuff on a burger, but. Sometimes I don't think it, it, it marries together that well. What 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 kind of burgers do you like? Like I, I saw you talking about a place called Preston's at North Market. That that looks like a good burger. Oh, dude, they're amazing. Matt, he's he's one of the co-owners and chefs over there. He makes a great burger. Also, Blackbird Kitchen, they make a great burger too. Both are Smash Burgers, which I love. I'm a Smash Burger super fan. I think Where's Blackbird. Blackbird is at Woodlands Tavern in Grandview, and um, 100% recommend them. They also have Berea which if you're a fan of that, like their consomme is dope. And I think that's the big X factor with Berea is a lot of times the consommes can be like too liquidy, too watery, or like too greasy, but his is like right in that sweet spot. Yeah, I like smash burgers too. I'm a big fan as far as the chains go. I do like Shake Shack quite a bit. Oh yeah, I'm I'm team Shake Shack for sure. In-N-Out can get lost. (laughs) I haven't had it up in and out to compare. Like I've, I've been out to California a lot of times, but I can't. I can't work. I can't like in my mind recreate an In-N-Out burger, so I'd have I'd have to do a side by side. I was a huge Five Guys. I still like Five Guys quite a bit. For a Me while, too. Five Guys was like my jam, but that was before Cleveland had any Shake Shacks. And then once Shake Shacks kind of came around, like you know, and maybe it's just a novelty because for the longest time, like there were none in Cleveland. So I I might it's only recently that we started having them. So I might still just, I might be just burned out on Five Guys. That's fair. And I was so demoralized when I learned that Five Guys factors the cost of the bonus fries. You know what I'm talking about? Like how they'll give you the, you order a small fry and then they put bonus fries in the bag. I always thought yeah. they were like hooking it up, but that's like part of their business model is they factor that into the fries. I never knew that. Like, I always wondered about that. Cause I was like, are these, are all these employees just like breaking like routine? Like, that's like <laughs> in a way I'd be kind of like, hey, like that, if you added that up, that's, that's not insignificant. Like across like, all their locations, like they're giving away like thousands of dollars of like free fries every day. Yeah, dude. So unfortunately the, the owner, I heard him on a podcast and he confirmed that that is factored into the price. Oh, that's like part of that. That's how they played up. It's like that extra little reach at the end there. I get it. You feel yeah, like no. you're getting a win. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Ironically, even though the, we do urban Asian food, uh, my favorite food is burgers. Nice. <laughs> like my wife knows this. Like I was born in Vietnam, came here when I was two. And the first time I went back was when we got married. So we went back there. This was 2015. We're, you know, I was there a solid month and like the first thing once we like got to the airport in, in America was like on a burger at, uh, at like Carl's Jr. or whatever. And she was just like, you have been itching for an American burger for a month. I'm like, yeah, I'm sorry. It's so shameless. Like there's all this amazing Vietnamese food and like, I'm like, I still I need a burger. Like, and not the way Vietnamese people make it, like they don't know how to make a burger. <laughs> Hell yeah, dude. This is a safe space for that. I will never police your palate. I fully support that. That is awesome. <laughs> she got mad at me. We were like, she's like, Jesus, we're out in Vietnam. This is your first time in Vietnam. And you can't something about burgers. <laughs> Injected into my veins. I need a burger I'm, now. <laughs> I'm, I'm just a burger fiend. Yeah. <laughs> That's incredible. So do you find it a little annoying and redundant when people say bao bun? Because doesn't bao mean bun? 
it's 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 kind of like the department of uh, redundancy department you know it's, it's kind <laughs> of uh, you know but you know we thought about it because like we struggle sometimes like so, like not everyone knows about like and for honestly this is this is very new for us to adopt that term because for the longest time we just called them steam bubbles and then i started seeing more and more people call them bow and I'm like, okay, like maybe people are getting getting kind of hit to this. And also in the past, like when I grew up, this kind of popular style now of the folded bow, it's called mm-hmm. guabao. You know, the classic style bow is those like softball looking things. Like, have you ever heard of wow bow? Yeah, and I've uh, had them before. They're delicious. Yeah, you know, like that, that's the bow I grew up eating. This kind of folded dough thing, that's something I, I honestly probably only saw in the last... 12 years or something like that. I, these didn't, as far as I knew, I didn't know about these at all growing up. And so growing up, bow to me was always like the, those ball things. And so I was always hesitant to call what we do bow because like a lot of people, I think they might think that, but you know, I think people are starting to associate the term bow with uh, these folded ones. I see bow bun. It actually doesn't, like you said, you're literally just saying the same thing twice, but I think because it's one of those items still that not I think most people still don't know about it your average yeah. person probably still doesn't even know about it that's um, fair yeah so it, I yes it, it, I think it's it's kind of that weird time I think over time as it becomes more ubiquitous everyone will know what about is. you know we think of the bow we obviously have our own kind of take on it and uh what we're doing is not super traditional you know and we look at it as just any other kind of small sandwich. The best way for me to describe it to somebody who's never had it is it's a slider, you know, yeah. <laughs> or it's a, or it's a, it's, I think of a, like a fluffy taco. It's kind of like another way we'll describe it sometimes. I love that. And it, that's a good way to get uh, a less experienced eater to try something new. And it's not even, especially like, like you said, you guys do non-traditional toppings. It's not even like, it's like a experimental sandwich. Like it's a pretty, like, like that fried chicken bow is amazing. Or like the shrimp bow is like, I think those are really accessible um, buns, eateries. Well, and honestly, from the, from the name Ninja City down to like, you know, the kind of the new direction and by new direction, I mean, you know, our restaurant in Cleveland is a much kind of larger concept, both in terms of the menu and it's a full service sit down place with a bar, a pretty big patio. We're on a pretty, you know, busy little corner in this neighborhood called Gordon Square. We're butted up right next to the near West Theater. Our patio pretty much like sit, our patio literally is on their property. They gave us the blessing, right? right? So it almost looks like we're almost like a conjoined space. So that being said, obviously the last year or so with COVID, it was a really noticeable difference for us because in our neighborhood, we, we do a lot of business from, there's a ton of performing arts theaters around us, not just the one next door, but there's several more in the neighborhood. And we really um, get a lot of business from those theater productions, whether it be folks attending the shows, coming in before the show, or afterwards, we were kind of like a go-to hangout for like cast and crew. Nice. So, you know, the last year and a half, it felt very different because when you went in there our first year, I guess close to two years up until when pandemic hit, you went in there on a Friday or Saturday at like 11 or 12, the place would be packed, like with, you know, ab- people coming out of the shows and the cast and crew wrapping up and doing their after parties and things like that. But basically what I was saying is up there, we kind of cater to a wide audience there. So our, our concept there is kind of like a little bit of everything, which is a great thing. Like it's yeah. a very engaging neighborhood. We're very much like a neighborhood spot. And, you know, we love that restaurant, right? Like that's our pride and joy. You know, my buddy Dylan, he's the one 
between him and I'm blessed to have some folks who have been with me, you know, um, some folks over 10 years. And so we have a pretty good veteran core group of folks who kind of, they're, they're at this point, the face and heart and soul of that restaurant, right? And so- Hey, just wanted to say thank you so much for listening so far. If you're liking it, please subscribe, tell a friend. If you're loving it, please give us a five-star review. When we conceived the idea of Ninja City back in 2014, it was supposed to be a quick casual concept. Um, and what happened was the first space we found uh, in University Circle had a bar and it just would not have worked for a fast casual setup. It was like a long corridor, a bar, and then like three steps up to like this like, like a raised seating area. So we kind of adapted the concept into more of like a full service thing. Over time though, we've always had this idea of like, you know, what could like the future of Ninja City be? Because we think we have a really cool bow concept that as you know, we were kind of alluding, you could not like Asian food at all, but I think still enjoy our bow. As, you know, especially the ones that are a little bit more like American pub. You know, we do cheeseburger ones, we do yeah. hot dog ones. You know, that barbecue pulled pork one, for example. There, there's almost nothing Asian about it. I mean, there's some pickled <laughs> veggies, but I mean, that's not that far off of, you know, the DNA of just barbecue. You know, you got meat, you got some pickled stuff, you know. So, you know, what we think is, is something that can really cross over. You know, like obviously fans of Asian food would enjoy it. Um, but really, you know, the idea is for it to be something that it's American food, just like, you know, we're not traditional Asian dudes, <laughs> right. so a reflection of, of kind of us and our very like Midwestern tastes, because, <laughs> you know, we both have been here since little kids, literally Dylan and I both have been in Cleveland, you know, we're me and uh, until recently up in Cleveland from and were you guys childhood friends, college, became really good friends in college and then continue friendship. And we had always talked about. Uh, going into business together. Uh, my first restaurant, he wasn't involved. So my first restaurant was called Bach. It was called Bach Asian Bistro in a neighborhood called Tremont in Cleveland. Um, and I had that from 2010 to 2018. And that was more of a, a little bit more of like a family effort. My, my parents weren't directly involved, but my mom had owned a restaurant for a long time. So her and my dad were a big part of helping me get started. And my partner there was her business partner back with they. And were they helping you with the menu and stuff? Or even though you were so young, were you like, this is my menu, I'm going to do what I want to do? Or uh, The selections were mine, but then the dishes that were like like pho or like the Vietnamese spring rolls and summer rolls, those were things that I didn't really, you know, adulterate too much. Those were things that we pretty much ate. Those are items that I, I was always happy and proud of. So we kind of kept those like family recipes. Nice. Uh, but definitely in terms of like just the basics of how to run a kitchen and all that kind of stuff. Uh, yeah, my mom and dad were, were real helpful in the beginning there. Do they still own a restaurant currently? They do not. No, they uh, they retired and they, they, they stepped out of retirement briefly to help me uh, when I opened Bach. But uh, no, they're they're retired. Nice. And so was it challenging for you to go from being like a solo family business owner to then working with a college friend? Like, was that a tough transition? I wouldn't say tough, but it, it's definitely an adjustment, right? You know, and a lot of, especially like ethnic restaurants, right? Uh, they run them a certain way, you know, and some things are not by the book, you know? <laughs> uh, and so, you know, that's definitely an adjustment. My mom came from a different era of owning restaurants. You know, my buddy and I are, you know, college educated guys. And before I worked, before I got into being an owner myself, you know, I graduated from Case Western Reserve up in Cleveland. I worked in operations management for an industrial supply distribution company. So I was in a warehouse, like in basically logistics. Um, so very far removed, you know, but 
there I learned a lot of kind of principles and operational philosophies, things like that, that your average small family style business owner might not be thinking. Um, I don't know how much it's helped, but I'd like to think that when I think about like kind of our kitchen flow and what pieces of equipment should go where, optimizing operations, those are kind of things that I enjoy those kinds of aspects of tinkering with the with the behind the scenes stuff. I think that'll really help you though, man. Like, cause you're, you're smart enough to know how easy it is to go wrong. Like I feel like a lot of restaurateurs, they have the passion and the drive and they might even have the best food in the world, but if they don't know the business side of it, they're going to have a really tough go. You're right. Like a lot of folks who have like a passion, like, Oh, I throw great dinner parties and stuff. But like, that's totally different from like having like 60 customers who can <laughs> all order, like whatever they want right. at that very moment. So like just the whole, like setting up an operation being able to fill orders. Uh, yeah. It's definitely a big leap. Like a lot of folks, like, I feign this persona of being this very disgruntled restaurant owner. Like I used to always walk around like joking with the employees that I was going to burn the restaurant down. Just, <laughs> like, you, know, so like, you know, just casually burning down my restaurant. No big deal. Yeah, just a little bit of arson. No big deal. Um, no, but like, you know, I, I make jokes about it. And like, I've had people in the past come to me saying like, hey, I really want to open a restaurant. And like, I always joke like, oh, I'll talk you out of it. You know what I mean? And I'm half serious about it. Like if someone genuinely were to say hey I really have this passion and I think I can kind of like build a business around it I'd be in full support like again not trying to discourage you but it's like you, you need to really think this through it's like what like enjoying cooking on the weekends is very yeah. than running a, a place uh you know restaurants are, are notorious for being very hands-on very labor-intensive of you know, it's a tough business. you know, it's a, you know, and it's definitely one that you have to be prepared for, you know, that hustle for sure. I feel like you're constantly like growing and challenging yourself. Now that you have a ghost kitchen, what are some obstacles you've had to overcome with just like a delivery only kind of service? We're very much treating our Columbus ghost kitchen, the one at the cloud kitchen as a big test, right? In a lot of ways, it's testing several things for us. It's allowing us to number one, test a new version of the Ninja City concept, one that's a lot more focused on bow and little bites, obviously. Um, so that's why the menu down here doesn't have rice and doesn't have noodles. And my partner and I, we're generally on the same page, but we're always catching ourselves. Like, I think we've had a mistake in Cleveland. And it's one of our strengths, I think, at our Cleveland restaurant is that we do kind of cater to everybody. The menu over time just keeps like growing in different directions, right? Because we think, oh, we don't have enough stuff for kids. So let's add this. So we don't have enough stuff for people who want like veggies. So let's add more like noodle salads and things like that. So now we have this menu that's like everything from like mac and cheese. To, like, like the cheesecake factory, like a Bible sized. No, it's not that extreme. We, we're <laughs> generally within a couple continents at least, but, but uh, yes, exactly. It, it feels like that in some ways. Right. And then, which is, I'm shocked at those restaurants and clearly there are full service restaurant chains that grow with giant menus. I don't know how they do it. Uh, I have no interest in trying to do that. I think it's already hard enough to maintain the quality of one restaurant with that broad of a name. And so that's where this whole idea of been like, well, hey, we can make a Ninja City a successful, you know, chain of restaurants, but we got to do something simpler. We, we can't have this all over the place menu. And frankly, there's a lot of great places. There's a lot of places already putting out great rice bowls, noodle bowls. We think the bow is kind of like, we can kind of run with that as our signature item. And that's really the one, one of the things that Ninja City has lacked. Like, we don't really have a signature item in Cleveland because we do so many different things. Like, we have top sellers. Like, our top sellers are pho. But I, I wouldn't say that is, like, a signature item, meaning, like, you know, 
an item that you immediately associate with Ninja City. Ninja City in Cleveland, you ask 10 different people, they'll give you 10 different things. Oh, I go there for the spring rolls. I go there for the chicken Does, and waffle. Do you have a banh mi up there? We have a banh mi, exactly. We have, we, we have banh mi, we have pho, we have ramens, gyoza dumplings, <laughs> um, pad thai, curries. We always, we're always running specials, a lot of noodles, stir fries, things like that. One of the biggest things we want to learn out of the ghost kitchen is just refining the concept. So that's first and foremost, like just getting a menu and a concept that is a little more focused and really just learning about Columbus. But ultimately, you know, we, we want to get in brick and mortars. I don't think the ghost kitchen model, I think you take for granted how much advertising you get out of just having a physical space. Oh, Even yeah. if people are coming in, people are seeing it. They're talking about it. And as you're doing your build out, the whole neighborhood's like keeping an eye on things like that, right? And you don't exist in a ghost kitchen. You know, right. some there are ghost kitchens with a storefront too, where it's just no dining. Before we end this podcast, I was hoping... Could you maybe give us like an elevator pitch for your restaurant, like a quick little thing as to why we should come? Yeah. So, I mean, Ninja City for my partner, Dylan and I, we're both Asian American guys. And it's very much kind of an expression of almost like an id-like version of like a, a restaurant that we would have came up with as kids. You know, Ninja City is, is kind of the blend of our favorite interests. So it's Asian foods, it's American comfort foods. It's comic book superhero vibes. It's hip hop. Two Midwest Asian guys interpretation of fun uh, food. And, and basically, you know, the bao is something that we've been serving bao since Ninja City first opened in 2014. But in the last few years, we really kind of found that a lot of people do, do consider our bao like one of our signature items. So we're really running with it. We view Ninja City as having this opportunity to kind of be this fun, accessible, feels very American. You know, you look at our branding and like, you know, obviously you can kind of gather, it's like that there's something Asian about it, but it feels very American. It leans hard on like American pop culture vibes and kind of nostalgia for 80s, 90s, pop culture, video game kind of stuff. Awesome. And so, you know, it, it's kind of the marriage of like all the, all the things we think are cool, you know? <laughs> so like, like I said, sometimes I feel like Ninja City, like, it, you know, it, it almost feels like it's like a, a like a like a thirteen year old Asian boy's like dream restaurant. <laughs> it's like, like all the things I liked as a thirteen year old. Dude, that's incredible, and I just want to say that I love your passion. It's very inspiring. I can tell how much you love and care about your restaurant and your brand, and your food is amazing. It's super delicious, and um, I wish you nothing but the best of luck, man. Thanks, man. I, I appreciate meeting you and all the support, and happy to be in Columbus, and looking forward to you know continuing to always push the boundaries with Ninja City. Awesome, my man. Well, I hope you have a good rest of the day, buddy. Hey, thanks. You too. Hey, thank you so much for listening to the podcast. I really appreciate it. Just wanted to say, please tell a friend, share us on social media, and give us a five-star review. Thank you.